Good morning. Man, 70 degrees outside today. If we could just get the sun to cooperate at the same time as the heat, it would be awesome. But they, you know what they say about North Carolina? Just check, that's why everybody checks the weather every 30 minutes because you never know what it's going to be like in 30 minutes later. So I'm, I'm praying for sunshine. I don't know about you guys. We're so glad that you chose to join us today here at the bridge. We are concluding a series called The Ripple Effect. And I don't know about you guys, but I've really been blessed and inspired by what we've uh, talked about I'll do a quick recap in just a minute, but just as an always reminder, if you want the notes for the messages, you can email at info at bridgechurch.cc. They'll be happy to send those to you. And you can follow along with the app and some really good content, take notes, uh, use that in your little journal. And so that's always a great resource. And then um, if you want to use the hashtag, the ripple effect, to uh, use that on social media, we'd love to see what you guys are sharing. But uh, we've been talking about the last few weeks, uh, we talked about putting Jesus at the center of our lives and our relationships and everything. When he is the focal point, when he is the start, when he's the center, makes the biggest splash. And from out of that, everything else seems to kind of fall into place. Now, while we can get our other priorities out of line, typically when Jesus is at the center, it helps to shape everything else around us. So in week one, we talked about Jesus being at the center. Week two, we talked about how our family comes next. And week three, and last week we talked about the church and what that looks like. We talked about vision for the future. And then today we're going to move a little bit forward and talk about what that means to be community. Now, I know most of us have heard the term community a number of times. You guys are part of different communities in your um, lives. You're engaged with uh, people who are, have the same interests, the same um, likes, the same hobbies and things like that. So all of us could look at our lives and find a, a bit of community around it. Um, some of you might find a community group of people like, you know, they go yard selling and stuff. I know there's all types of Facebook. I, I saw this the other day. There's like a Facebook Wayne County yard sale, and then there's a Wayne County yard sale without the drama. I'm like, you know, I hated I didn't get into the first group because, you know, to get to see all the stuff that happened. But anyway, you know, there's people that rally around stuff like that. You know, there's people that they gather around sports and obviously football, just kind of finishing up that. And we had the Super Bowl. Uh, the other week, and, and so at one, for one time in all the year, all the people who hate the Patriots come together and, you know, root against them, and so, you know, there's community kind of built around that. I'm, I'm kind of sad about, sorry about that, Troy, I, I'm a big fan there, but, uh, you know, that, that's just how it is, but you can, if you ever go to a game, it doesn't matter, like, your ethnicity or, or your age or anything like that, I've been to a Panthers game, like, when it's just the joy and celebration of people around you, I mean, you high-five people you've never met in your life, you won't do it in church, but you will just high-five that dude that's standing there with his shirt off, you know, and he's cheering for the team, and, and so community is built around a number of things in our lives, I mean, people build community around games, that, that game that came out a few years ago, or might have been a year or two ago, that Pokemon game. I never really understand it, but I guess it got people walking around. And so we see all those people um, walking around downtown all the time, and uh, they're playing that game, you know, staring at their phones, running into poles, and all kinds of things like that. And I never forget, I was like, you know, what are you doing? And the guy's like, I'm trying to get a peek at you. I was like, you're trying to get a peek at me? Or, you know, I don't, not really... I'm really sure. He's like, no, a Pikachu. And then I was like, bless you. Am I supposed to say like, bless you? Because it sounds like he's sneezing. So, you know, there's common interest built around that, community built around that. But all of us have some type of community. We're wired that way. We have this desire to have connections with people. And uh, that's just how God designed it. And so I remember at our 10-year anniversary, we went uh, to Hawaii 
We saved up, uh, did the whole Dave Ramsey thing, saved enough money, went over to Hawaii. And um, so we were on the island of Maui, and we were coming down from the um, elevator, walking out, going to go down to the beach. And I see this guy standing there with a UNC Wilmington t-shirt on. And I was like, my people, you know, like we're back from North Carolina. And uh, so I'm all excited because, you know, I'm the one that stands out and people are like, you're not from around here when I'm talking. And so I come up to him and I'm like, hey, man, are you from Wilmington? And the guy's like, yeah. I'm like, no way, man. I lived in Wilmington. I went to school, school in Wilmington. And he goes, yeah. And just like turns around and walks away. And I was like, that guy's from up north. He just went to school in the south. Because, you know, if you're from the south, like you just dialogue with people. You'll talk to anybody about anything. Just that's that southern charm. And so I could not believe it. I told my wife, I said, man, I was in there. I was all into it. I was excited. We're halfway across the world from each other, 14-hour flight. I'm all pumped up. And here's this guy. And he just goes, yeah, and just turns around and walks away. And so, you know, I didn't get that. But, you know, living in the south, especially in North Carolina, I don't know if this happens to you, but it happens to me all the time. I'll tell somebody, and if they're from the south, I'll say, they'll say, where are you from? And I'll say, oh, I'm from North Carolina. Oh, what part? And so they're, they, when they ask that, what are they asking? I know some people in North Carolina. I just want to see if you can identify know them as well. And so I'll say, oh, Goldsboro. And they'll say, oh, okay. Well, I have friends out in Charlotte. I was like, oh, okay, that's about four hours away. Well, hey, do you know so-and-so? I'm like... No, of course I don't know, you know, so-and-so. I, I try that with somebody from New York. You live in New York? Oh, yeah, what part? New York City. Oh, do you know so-and-so? It's like, you know, the chances of that are swim, but we just like having community. We like having relations, dialoguing, and all that. Now try, try having a name like Grantham and living in a town near Grantham. So anytime I say my last name is Grantham, I, immediately I get about 10 questions. Do you know this person? Do you know this person? And so from now I've just started saying, no, I'm, I'm sure we're all connected somehow together. You know, it all goes back. I, I thought about just telling people I'm from Canada and then they wouldn't, didn't, wouldn't ask me. But anyway, so we hear this term community and we gather around it. We, we name small groups, community groups. We talk about the community of faith. Uh, there's so many words that are tied and, and affiliations to the term community. But I want to talk just a moment about really kind of set us up for today. Uh, there's two types of people in this room. Um, there would be those who would say that they are actual Christ followers, those that uh, have surrendered their life to Jesus. And uh, maybe that happened for you at an early age. Maybe it happened in middle school, high school, college, maybe later in life. And so you, you surrendered your life to Christ and you say you're a Christian. And then there are those who are not there yet, who may have been in this journey and been coming a while. And you say, no, I've never done that. It's your first time back in church in a long time. Either way, we are glad you're here. But I want to just kind of let you in a little bit on why we say that we're Christian and kind of the same story that we have. So just kind of hang tight. Um, so what makes us community of faith, we have a few characteristics that all of us kind of come under this umbrella. The first thing is we have the same starting place. And what I mean by that, the same starting place, no, we weren't all born in the same place. No, we weren't, you know, raised by the same types of people, but we all had the same place in that we were all sinners. We rebelled against God. And then somewhere along the line, uh, we realized that we needed something better than ourselves. It wasn't, you know, us on our own. We didn't have any type of righteousness. We, we were by no means holy, but we had the starting place where we all were sinners and fell short of the glory of God. He came and he rescued us. And in Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we understand that we were there and then Christ came. So we had that same initial starting place. The second thing we have is we have the same Savior. We put our trust, our faith, our hope in Jesus Christ. We know that it is in him alone. And uh, because of his cross, his death, and John 3.16 tells us 
that if we trust him, we believe in him, we will have eternal life. So that's the second thing that unites us as a community of faith. The number three thing is we have the same story. Now, I know that the stories will vary in the details, the beginnings, the ends, and all the things that kind of happen. But essentially, we had the same story. All of us, again, we rebelled against God. We turned, we had, were idolaters. We were caught up in, in all this sin. And then eventually, we came to know Christ. And so whether, you know, you, in fact, were like, um, you know, a homeschool mom, a, a blue-collar worker. You worked as a lawyer, a doctor, or whatever your story tra- started out as. Now, coming to Christ, we have that kind of same story, that craft. And then we were lost and then Jesus came and rescued us. And here's the great part about it. It wasn't in the midst of all of the things that were going on that God said, when you get things right in your life, then I'll come to you. It wasn't at this point when Jesus was like, okay, I'm, I'm really looking for a better uh better future version of you. It was in the midst of all that pain, the shame, the filth, the disgust, the sin, that Jesus says, I love you just as you are right now. And he came in and he rescued us. And that's amazing in itself. And so now with all that being said, here's the fourth thing. Now we're left with the same assignment. All of us have the same purpose or should have the same purpose and the same assignment, which leads us into the community aspect that we're going to talk about today. So as Christians, what brings us together, it's more uh, and it's bigger, if you will, than just race, nationality, age, gender, occupation, or social status. It's so much more than that. It's about a future, a hope, and eternity being under the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, again, while our versions and our stories will have variations in the details, we have the same redeeming story. And now we should share the same characteristics and traits, which we will talk about. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start there, get a few insights here from Paul today. And uh, we're going to start at verse 17. And so he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? What's the word there? New. How many people like new stuff? Right? I know, I know your kids, everybody, like, they like new stuff. Therefore, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now, I'll explain real quick. After a person comes to know Jesus Christ, they've put their trust in him, um, the old value systems, the old priorities, their beliefs, their loves, and their plans are essentially, they're not all gone, are they? Not everything that happened before you met Jesus just immediately disappears. Yes, I know that happens for some people. I've heard people say, you know, I, I was in the military and I cussed like a sailor for 30 years and I, you know, reveled against God. And then he came and it was like a light switch and I just instantaneously changed. And while that happens to some people, most of us, it's still a process, right? It's that old nature kind of each and every day taking up our cross, stripping it away and following him. And so while evil and sin are still present in our lives, if we're honest, all of us, evil and sin are still present, we have this new perspective though. We have this new mindset, this new view that no longer controls us because we're no longer living living for temporary things. We have this eternal mindset that it's much bigger than ourselves. And so we live with a whole different means. And so that's what Paul is saying here. This new creature, this old self is gone. This new thing is coming. So now I should begin to love and think and serve and act different in a sense. Verse 18 says, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we see that that happens and takes place not because of us, but it's God working through us. And because of that, we in turn should do the same and try to reconcile and draw and lead people to Christ. 
So in other words, God has called all of us to proclaim that reconciliation to him. Verse 19, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. So we see that God in the flesh, Jesus, into the world, and he's calling, he was drawing men unto him, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed us to the word of reconciliation as well. And so that leaves us with this, in this next term, and if you are one of those people that like to underline or highlight or take notes in your Bible, this is such a great passage, and I'd even encourage you to just really study this. But in verse 20, it says, therefore, so the therefore comes after we've understood what happens to us. Now in response to that's what he's saying. Now that you know this, here's what should happen. Therefore, you are now ambassadors, and that word kind of means representatives for Christ. And so if you go back and do a study there, you can see that that term even used is like elder. So you have this um, idea of spiritual maturity, of, of a younger person getting older, becoming more experienced, and now they are representative of Christ. I don't know about you guys, but I love shows like um, Designated Survivor and 24 and all that. Anything with like um, Kiefer Sutherland and Jack Bauer, you know, the espionage type shows. And one thing I've noticed in, in all those shows, they somewhere along the lines they have a way to work in the ambassadors of these different nations, right? So we're watching the other day and, and the ambassadors, they sit down with the ones from, you know, whether it's Turkey or, or you know, Iran, or they sit down with the ambassador of France and they begin to dialogue. And, and why do they do that is because they are speaking to that person as though they are the liaison or the in-between person for that country. And so they're the representative of that country. And so when we understand that, what Paul is saying is, now you, if you have Christ, you have that new, if you're that new creature, you should now be the ambassador and speak on behalf and act to those around you that they would see you and see God. And he goes on to say this, for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so this is where we're left. We understand, okay, we're old, we were old, we're now new. Jesus says, okay, if you know me, then you're my representative to speak on my behalf, begin to profess uh, the gospel to people and have them be reconciled to me. And that's our responsibility. So now let's talk about a few, uh, three things that should lead and guide us every step of the way. The first thing is, one, our mission is to share the gospel. And so that gospel, the word there used is good news. Uh, you may have heard it this way that, uh, you know, we should be witnesses. And uh, if you know anything about, you know, being a witness, there's two things that it takes for you to be a witness. One, you have to be present in the situation. And two, you have to tell what you know. All right, anybody ever had to, to be a witness and testify in like a trial or a court or case or something like that? Um, so, so you understand you have to be there, present, and you have to tell what you know. So I was coming out of Starbucks, it's been about a year ago, and as I walked out of Starbucks, I heard this loud sound, which I can only attribute to being a Mustang, because that's what a Mustang sounds like. And uh, so kind of picture it with me, I'm walking out, there's a car coming 
uh, down Wayne Memorial towards Wayne Memorial Hospital, and they turn right in between McDonald's and Starbucks. And, and instead of just turning right like normal, they proceeded to rev their engine up very, very loudly, and um, so you could hear it. And then they, as soon as they turned the corner, I guess it had more horsepower than they realized, and they gunned it, and they got a little, you know, out of control there, spinning tires, and uh, a car pulled out, not understanding that person was going about, you know, 40 or 50 miles an hour in that really short amount of um, of area, and uh, when they did that, they misjudged and pulled out in front of this car. Well, and the guy tries to swerve and not hit the person, I guess, broadside in the door, and so he pulls off to the right. And when he does, he catches the back of the car and then proceeds to jump the curve and run into three more cars in the parking lot. And if you've ever witnessed a wreck, you just know that sound when it happens, right? And so everybody, you know, comes running out, and then there's you know smoke and airbags and stuff going off, and. You know, the smell, there's broken glass, you just hear it all. And so I, I run over there to make sure people are okay. And they're kind of getting out of the car. And this guy, he's humiliating, he feels, you know, terrible and trying to check and make sure everybody's okay. And the good thing is they are. And so as we're, you know, we're talking uh, to them, we, uh, they call the police and the police come in and he's, he begins to go around, okay, uh, who, did you see what happened? He's asking all these people, did you see what happened? And one person's like, no, I didn't see it. One person's like, yes, I was standing over here. And he, he asked me, I said, yeah, I was walking out. And I began to tell him, he said, okay, well, let me get your name and let me get your phone number and kind of, you know, I'll talk to you about it. And I said, okay, no problem. And so um, he went around and he began to ask all these people what happened. And they were given different varying accounts. Isn't that funny? You can all stand at the same scene of the crime and everybody's got a different variation. And uh, he comes to me and he says, okay, tell me what happens. And I said, well, the car was coming. He turned right. And when he did, the car was pulling out of McDonald's and hit. And he said, wait, wait, wait. Now, those two, two people over there said that the car was coming from Starbucks way, not from McDonald's. And I was like, that's not right because she got hit on the the uh, driver's side, and that's why it spun around and she's facing that way. And he's like, okay, well, that makes sense now. And so I'm beginning to tell all these details. Well, one, if I wasn't there, I couldn't have done it. And two, if I didn't open my mouth, he would have never known. And so for us uh, to understand what a witness is, we must first be present in a situation to do that. And number two was we must be able to tell what we know. We must be able to tell what we know. And so Matthew 28, 19, we get instructions from Jesus, and he tells us our responsibility. Now I'm going to back up real quick and read verse 18. I think you'll have 19 in just a second. But it says, then Jesus came to them and he said, and he said this to them after all that stuff happened, after the death and the burial and the resurrection, he comes to them and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so when we think about that word authority, that's, that's pretty marvelous, it's pretty powerful, because we're not just talking about, you know, God walking in the flesh, we're talking about authority that has the ability to speak to storms and for them to be still. We're talking about the authority that can touch blinded eyes and then be open. It's to say, Lazarus, you know, that's, that's nice and all, but I want you to get up and come back to life. You know, that's the authority we're talking about. And so Jesus says, because I have that authority, now here's what I'm going to tell you to do, Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's our mission. That's what we were made for. Now, there's a difference between discipleship, disciples, and just a person coming to know Christ, a convert. Okay, let me just kind of identify that for real quick. So a person, you know, who comes to Christ, you know, that begins, that's the initial step. And then from there, there's a process that should take place into becoming a disciple. It's the spiritual maturity. It's growth. It's, you know, a progression of knowing um, more, learning more, you know, our faith growing more, uh, devotional time. And there's a whole lot of things that take place in becoming a disciple. Now, notice what he doesn't say. 
and I'm not going to let any of us off the hooks, is go therefore if you are extroverts and make disciples of all nations. Right? Where are my extroverts at? Raise your hands. Oh, so there's three extroverts in this. Well, then great, because this next point's going to be even better for all you that say you're not extroverts. I know most of you don't want to raise your hand. Let me, let me just ask, where are my introverts at? And if, see, now that's not right. So I question that because the fact that you even raised your hands lets me know that you're maybe on the borderline. You're like one of those 60-40s or something like that. Because let's be honest, some of us, it's just easy to talk. I mean, we can go up and we can talk to anybody, right? We can go up and have a conversation with the guy standing, you know, in line at the coffee shop. We can just talk to the guy standing at the DMV, you know, for two hours while we wait. Um, there's so many. And then for others of us, we kind of like, I don't want to talk to anybody and just kind of clam up. So what we don't see is that God is saying, only for those of you who are extroverts can go out and do this. No, uh, it's, it's all of us, every single person. Now, here's what I know. Maybe you had, this was your relationship growing up. Um, if you had to identify whether your mom or dad, one was an introvert or extrovert, they both could be extroverts, I don't know. But here's what I know. Um, people who talk a lot and you hear them talk a lot, it's easy to dismiss what they say because you hear them talking so much. But if you have somebody who doesn't talk a whole lot and then they speak, you're more likely to incline to pay attention to what they say because you don't always hear them talking. Okay, so I have some people in my family, you know, my mom's even one of them too. I mean, I'd say she's probably extroverted in a sense, but, you know, when it comes around sitting in a conversation at a table, a lot of other people are talking, and then when you hear somebody who speaks up that doesn't normally say something, you're like, you tune into that. And so I think you, even as those of you who are introverts, have a whole different realm and a power that we don't even realize because people will pay attention to you because they're like, ooh, you know, let me chime in and see what they're actually going to say. And then it's also, I think, goes to show spiritual maturity in the fact that you can overcome that through Christ to be able to speak to those around you. And so we have to choose whether we find ourselves extroverted or introverted to die to our preferences in order to obey God. And that is a mark of being a spiritual mature believer. And so after that happens, he says, go and therefore make disciples. He says, after that, we baptize them. In the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And so once a quarter, you guys probably sat in these services. We have them here. We sing. We worship. We bring them down. We bring them back up. And we all celebrate that kind of a next step. That's a next step here at the bridge that we say. Once you've come to know Christ, we'd love to, you know, do that together as a family of faith and baptize. And then the next step after that, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so this is a process. It's a never-ending process. We will never arrive. We will never be spiritually, so spiritually mature that we don't need to keep growing. But he's saying that what you, what you see here is the starting place. Now that you have Christ, you know Christ, you share Christ, you're the ambassador. You bring people to Christ. You get them, they become baptized. And then you teach them everything you've learned. And it's, that, again, that process of, being a, of making a disciple. Now, here's what you need to know about this text, and it's super important. And every time you read the Bible, you need to ask yourself this question. One, is this text prescriptive or descriptive? Because you need to know the difference in the two. All right? We all love the, the stories about, you know, Daniel and the lion's den, and we love the stories about, you know, David and Goliath and, and all of those things. But let's be honest, that we're not David, right? 
in the Bible. This is a what? It's a descriptive text of an account that took place. But when we read this passage right here, this is not just a descriptive text. This is a prescriptive text. So if we were to read together Acts 2, and we see this, and I said, all right, guys, today we're going to read this text, and then we're all going to do it. Are you ready? Acts chapter 2, they had all things together. They were all in unity, and they took everything they had. They sold all the possessions, and they gave it to those who needed it. Guys, today the ushers are going to come around and they're going to collect all your keys, your wallets, your cell phones. They're going to take all the money that you have. We're going to go down to Walmart with that machine where you can put the, the uh, um, phones in and they give you money. We're going to get all your phones. We're going to take everything we can. We're going to go down to the soup kitchen and we're just going to distribute to all those that had. And many of you go, like, all right, I think i got to go to lunch. And you take off out the way, right? Because what? That's not a prescriptive text. That is a descriptive text of what was taking place at that time. Are you guys tracking with me? You understand what I'm saying? Okay, next thing. So now that we understand that, this is a prescriptive text for us to know. This is a timeless text that Jesus is saying to all of us. It's not going to get old, and it's not for just this group of people. It's for us as Christ followers. And so it also goes on to account and say in Mark 16, I'm not going to put it up there, but the same thing, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Same thing, that's our responsibility as Christ followers to go into all the world, preach the gospel to all nations. Now, how many people like good news? I don't know about you, I, I love good news. Go tomorrow, whenever you go to work, wherever you go, and, and if you've got some good news, say, hey, would you like to hear some good news? And most of the time people go, yes, I'd love to hear good news. And then you can share it. You know, you don't like being around those people who are just always down on themselves and never has a good day and they, you know, just constantly complaining. And it always throws you off when somebody goes, hey, would you like to hear the good news or the bad news? Because it's like, you're going to build me up and push me down, or you're going to push me down and build me up. Like, I don't know which one to go for. But try going up to somebody and say, hey, you want to hear some good news? And then you tell them, and most people would respond. I think the reason why that we don't share the gospel, the good news, is because we forget how good it is sometimes. So let that sink in just a minute. I think we just become complacent and content with, you know, where we are and what we know and where we've been brought out of. And it's like, you know what, we just kind of forget about how good news it is. So my wife and I found out um, just a few months ago that we're going to be having another baby in July, which is awesome. Um, you know, seven years later. Um, so we wanted to get one trained up so they can take care of the other one. At least that was our plan. <clears throat> but and so um, when I, she told me, she uh, bought me a new hat and gave it to me. And on the hat, she had like put the words on there, you know, we're pregnant again. And um, had me open it and put it on and then took a picture and showed me the picture. And so I was super excited. And, and one of my like first thoughts that I'm going through my head and wondering is like, when can we tell people? You know, it's just that excitement of like, I want to tell, I want to tell my family. And I begin to process like, when can I tell my family? When can I tell my friends? Tell our small group and, and you're going through that. You know what's hard? Holding that in. I'm telling you what, and, and, and I understand it all. Like, I understand that, you know, it's, it's tough. And a lot of times they want to wait till after the first trimester. And so I get that. But when you know something at four weeks and then you got to hold it like another eight or nine weeks, it's like, oh, it's just inside. It wants to come out of you. And, and I think that's what that should be like for us, knowing what Jesus has done for us and the beauty of it all and the grace that he gives for us to take that and share that with all the people around us. And so we finally were, you know, we posted it on Facebook and, you know, and most people find out that way and then some other people find out the other way. But our, our friends and stuff were so excited and it was just fulfilling for me 
to, to share that with everybody, to see in that enjoyment. And so we should be moved by that. We should be moved by the good news that is inside of us to share that with those around them so that they can also come to that understanding. And it is amazing news. Number two, our motivation or our motive should be love. You know, when the disciples asked Jesus, you know, what is, or they asked him, what was the greatest commandment? He said what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So we get it. We love God and we love people. We love them like we love ourselves. And we love ourselves. Right? We make sure we're clothed, taken care of, have food. I mean, we, we do look out for ourselves, our priority. And so we understand that when you're in love, you do some crazy things. Right? How many of you guys, you remember back in those dating days, you did some stuff you didn't want to do because you were in love. Until you've done like me and sat through a two or three hour ballet watching guys dance around in tights, I'm telling you, that's love. It's not something every day I just look forward to. Some of you guys, your kids are involved in sports, uh, you know, and you watch them play soccer and they all just bunch up. They're like little ants on a piece of bread and they just move like a hurdle. And, and the, you know, it might be exciting or they just all, they're like running around like cats, you know, and, and then you're like, oh man, this is, but you would do that because you love your kids. I mean, you'll even eat, you'll eat places you don't even like because you're in love. Like I remember one of our first um, dates, my wife and I, we went to Waffle House, you know, I mean, but it was like the only thing that was open after we had, uh, that's a long story. Anyway, so <laughs> I don't want y'all to think bad things. It was, it was, it was, a, it was pure, I promise. But, but you will do things because you are motivated by love. And let's just be honest, we forget about that sometimes and we become complacent in the same things in marriages, don't we? Guys and girls, we, we don't do some of the things we used to do. And that's what attracted them to us. And so we got to go back to where we were because it's something that person enjoys. And so when we're motivated by love, we share the gospel to our community and those around us. And it's not just being loving, but it's telling as well. You know what the most hypocritical, sad, and weak form of love is? Is seeing someone that's in danger and hoping it works out for them. You and I walk around each and every day and we encounter people who are just miserable. Right? They're, they're empty, they're broken, they're addicts. And, and maybe, and, and some of us are still going through that. So I'm not saying anybody's arrived, but what I'm saying is when you see a person in danger and you love, you have the love of Christ in your heart, you, you go to them and you share with them hope that can bring them out of that and help them through that process. And so for us to look out and see somebody in danger and, and wrecked and not say anything is weak. And I live out right up here on Highway 70 right now, we, um, not far from the highway. And for me to look out and see my daughter, who's almost seven, to go and ride her bike out on Highway 70... Knowing that, you know, there's a chance that she could get hit. There's a chance that she might. But she looks like she's having so much fun. And, you know, I know it's dangerous. And, but look at, you know, it's a down a hill. And there's streamers blowing off her bike. And, you know, I just, I don't want to say anything. So I want it to work out for her best. Look how happy they are. That's a weak, sad form of love, isn't it? The most gracious 
And the best thing that we could do is bring that person and say, you're going to kill yourself. What are you doing? Do you want to be like that squirrel laying over there on the side of the road, that possum in the middle of the road? That will be you if you keep doing what you're doing. Now come here and let me tell you what, what can help you through this process. And so we bring them to us. I'll never forget when I was young, my dad came up to me and I used to play. We had this neighborhood. We lived up off Highway 70. And um, I, I like to play in the road. I like to ride my bike in the road. I would do all these things. And my dad came up to me one day. He said, Jared, I want you to come here. I want you to see something. And he took me and he stood me right up on the grass line of our driveway. He said, this, this grass right here and all that back there behind us, this is our property. All, you can go back in the woods as far as you want that way. There's ditches and there's hills you can play in. You can go back and, I mean, play in any of that stuff that you see. He said, this line right here going this way is the road. This is off limits. Do not play in this road. The cars come down. Don't get in the road. You're too young. You know, people aren't paying attention. You just, it's not going to work out good for you. I'm telling you, you're not going to play in the road anymore because he told me and told me and told me. He said, so this is the ultimatum. If you go into this road again, it's going to end up very, very badly for you. Okay. And so maybe you guys have had that conversation before with your kids. And so you know, I, I'm like, he says, do you understand? I said, yes, sir. And, and so he's standing there with me, and I'm, you know, standing at the edge of the road. And he turns around, and he says, okay, and he walks off. And so I'm left with a choice. And I look back, and then I just go, and I step, you know, just step into the road. Strong-willed child, right? I woke up two days later. I remember I saw the light. And he did why did he do that? Because he loved me. He cared for me. He, he had my best interests in mind, and he wanted to say, look, this is not a good idea. I'm further along from you. I can tell you something that will help you out. And so he did that out of his love and his heart. And so we should do the same thing when we see those in danger. Because of the love we have, bring them to the good news and what will give them hope. But honestly, if we're, if we're being honest, we're probably, most of us are even terrified to talk to people around us, right? I mean, even our family, we struggle with. Some of you guys, I was reading the prayer request this past week, and some of you guys, I've seen them, have been praying for your kids for a, a very long time that they would come to know Christ. And some of you are praying for moms and dads and relationships, and, and back there on that prayer wall there where those little scrolls are, there's ones filled with people who have been praying for people. And, and maybe you felt like you had the opportunity and could talk to them about it, but many of you don't even feel like you can. I would highly challenge and encourage you to pray and ask that God would give you that opportunity and the boldness to step out and talk to those. It could be for your coworkers. It could be for your friends. I mean, if we had the cure for cancer and didn't share it, that would be an absolute tragedy, wouldn't it? If we looked out and saw that our neighbor was starving and couldn't eat and they had three kids and they were going hungry and then we had this pantry full of food and we said, I've got this solution right here, but you know what, I'm going to withhold it, that'd be a crime. And the fact that we have the greatest news in the world and we choose not to share it is an eternal tragedy. When love compels us, we will sacrifice comfort and be more aware of those around us. And so we must be motivated by love. Third point, our method is to live it, walk it out, and tell it to others. So 
You know, I've heard so many people say, you may have said this, you may have heard people say this, you know, I just want people to know based on my actions, you know, I just want to live a good life and then maybe they'll come to me. And look, while that's all good and great, I just think most of us are not holy enough that people are falling down at our feet going, oh, please tell me about that Jesus. I mean, you just got it all together. Now, I think that that does happen on occasion. I think that people look out and they see how things are going in your life and the joy that you have and the overflows. So trust me, I'm not saying that God doesn't use that. But I'm, what I'm saying is there is something about not only living it, but also telling it. Does that make sense? So for us to trust, you know, that we have to understand we're not as holy as maybe we think we are and that people might not come, then we have to audibly speak it out and have a conversation. But you don't want to do one without the other. So if you live it out and don't share it, that's one thing. But if you share it and don't live it out, I think that's even worse. If you're going out professing Christ and telling people about it and your actions and your life don't model it, then, you know, that's a pretty hypocritical thing and people are probably going to be more deterred by that. So you want to make sure that those kind of coincide in a line. Now, there's all types of different means and methods and ways that we, pe- or we see people share the gospel. And, and so I'm going to just bring us all together because you've probably seen some of those in your life. But um, first and foremost, you know, you may have encountered that, especially on like college campuses or places like that where you've seen, you know, people that walk around with signs and they hold these, you know, walking around downtown and places like that. And they're, and they're just holding this sign. And this is their method for striking up a conversation. And so let me, again, just say this to all of you. I think God can use anything that we do to redeem a person to come to Christ. I'm not saying, I'm just saying this is probably not my preferred method of way to stand on the corner and hold this sign. Right? And then you flip around and it gets a little worse, you know. And so you see these people and they're shouting and they're yelling and they're, and, and most of the time they're trying to draw a crowd and then they're, you know, tell their message. And I've seen, again, people who've come to know Christ through this. But if you do this and, and you know, see that standing around, just make sure there's not a bridge sticker on it. I appreciate it. <laughs> and then the other thing, and this is another one you probably see, people get on their little soapbox, right, and we laugh about it. And it says, you know, repent now on it. And they've got this megaphone. And so they hold it out and they yell at these girls on college campuses. And they said, that shirt is too short and your skirt is too uh, short. You might want to make sure you take that off. Jesus would not be pleased with what you're doing right now. And it happens all the time, and it causes a stir. And so, sadly, Christians get a bad rap because those are the most vocal people. And if people aren't going out sharing, then this takes precedence, and people, that's what they see. And maybe, you know, some of us, um, I think, yeah, one of the ones that you see is people have the Christian tracks, and I think that's great and all too. Um, Just don't leave that as your tip at the restaurant instead of a, a tip. But, you know, I remember working at the country club when I was in school and people would come in from church and, you know, you're waiting on, people are waiting on tables and they would leave this down at their table and, you know, that would be all that they'd leave you. It's like, well, I give you a couple bucks, I can help you out with eternal life, you know. And that deters people more away. Because as Christians, we're supposed to be the most generous. We're supposed to have the most joy. And so there's all types of means and methods that people use, but probably, and I think the most effective thing for all of us to do is invest in the lives and the people around us, in our sphere of influence, our community, invest in them and invite them to church and into a relationship with Jesus. You know, in the early church, there was not anything, people, the early church and the disciples, 
didn't think that there was a such thing as being a Christian without making disciples. Let that sink in just for a moment. You understood that when you were a Christian, that your responsibility was to help make disciples. A progression. So for the early church, it was knowing God and making him known. It's not enough just to know him, but also to make him known. And so really, a non-witnessing Christian is a contradiction in terms. If you say you have Christ, then we should share Christ. Now, let me say again, this may be new. You may have never done that in your entire life. And I'm not here beating up on you because I know what that's like. But here's what I also know. I know that if you pray about it and if you seek him and ask him, to help that, he can give you courage and he can give you boldness and he will make opportunities in your life that will help you dialogue with those people. And so, you know, our objections to sharing it are, you know, I'm just afraid I'm not going to know what to say and they're going to ask me questions. I don't know how to respond or I'm just going to butcher it and then they're going to turn away. Let me, let me set all of us free real quick. A person's salvation and their relationship with Christ is not contingent upon how well you deliver that message. Okay, if you don't believe me, go back and read John 6. It is not a how bad you do that. Trust me, God can use anything. He can use a donkey to talk. He can use you. And so we have to understand it's not up to us. You know, in, in 2 Corinthians, I'm just going to paraphrase real quick, chapter 12, verse 9, it talks about us and our weaknesses and boasting in our weaknesses because when we boast about our weaknesses, that's when Christ is lifted up and made strong. And so, you know, even though you may be weak in that, and you're, I'm not saying that I would recommend not preparing yourself for that conversation. Like if you, if you know you're going to have a conversation with someone that I would definitely prepare and be ready for it. But what I'm saying is God can use your weaknesses to accomplish his purposes. And that's freeing for me. I don't know if it is for you, but it's freeing for me just knowing that I, all I have to do is tell where I was, what Christ did, and where I am now. It's that simple. And so most of us would probably be challenged by that. And, and it's more than, you know, that Facebook picture that says, if you like Jesus, then share it. If you don't, keep scrolling. It's way more than that. And so here, here's what I, I think are the greatest ways of sharing the gospel. You can write them down, jot them down, whatever you want as we get ready to close. I think you having that, the influence of people around your life, making specific relationships with people who don't know Jesus. I, um, I have a prayer wall at my house, and we write down our prayer requests on there. And one of the things that's been on there for a long time is God bring people into my life who do not know you. Because trust me, when you work at a church, it is so easy to surround yourself with people like you. And sometimes I feel, uh, honestly, I just, not depressed, but it's sad. Because I don't have those people that I can engage with. And so, you know, I, I made a few choices uh, a year or two ago and gotten involved in a couple of things to help my sphere of influence become around people not just like me. And so for you, I would say look around the people that you have in your life and pray that God could use you in those situations. And the other thing is, I mean, if it's, I remember as a um, high school uh, small group leader sitting around with a group of guys uh, after playing flag football or coming out here to the church and, you know, playing basketball and then saying, hey man, tell me where you are right now. How's your walk with Jesus? What are you struggling with? What are you dealing with? 
And so we're going through all these things together. And, and those meaningful conversations, that investing in those people, I think is the greatest way for us to do that. Maybe as a lady, you know, you have a, a weekly meeting with some ladies at Starbucks and you just talk about, you know, life and you talk about to that person next to you at the cubicle at your work. And, um, you know, God's going to put people in, in our lives. Man, start with walking across the street to your neighbor. Most of us probably don't even know our neighbors, myself included. There's people I know a little bit surface level of, but I don't have very meaningful relationships. I know some of them go to church, some of them don't. But starts even just around that area. Start small. People that you've already kind of had dialogue and conversations with. And so some other practical applications is, is begin a prayer list. Write some people's names down. Put some prayer requests back there on that back wall and begin to pray specifically about people in your life that you can influence and share the gospel with. And then missional living, which I think is super important. That's this. No matter where you work, what you do, stay-at-home mom, volunteer, retired, God's got you right where you need to be right now. And you can look and bypass and say, man, if I was just over here, if I just had this job, or if I could... He strategically got you in a place that you can have influence right now. And so your community is the people around you. Let what Jesus is the center in your life become the message that you share. Where you were, what God did inside of you, and where you are now. It's that simple. And then invest in those people and invite them to church. So how much do we care about our community? How much do we care about our neighbors? How much do we care about our family? Is it enough that we would increase our boldness and courage to speak up, to pour into them? Are we motivated by love? Then if you answer yes to those questions, then this is the last thing I would say, then you must go. You must go and share and teach and train and live it out. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for what you have uh, done in this series. I thank you, God, for how you have, um, through so many different affirmations and testimonies, people have just, even today, were telling me how this has meant so much to them and their families, how their priorities have gotten back to where they need to be. And I believe, Lord, that you are, are doing a work here. I, I pray today specifically for this message, God, that it was sink into our hearts. I know I know, I know it's uncomfortable sometimes. But I know, God, that through you all things are possible. And that when we are weak, when we're afraid, when we don't know the words to say, God, that you can speak on our behalf. And that we know that the Holy Spirit is there. It will help us. And so if we truly are Christ followers, if we are truly a community of faith, if we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, then we need to go out and just share and to be your hands and feet. And Father, I just thank you for that word this morning that in spite of our sin and our shame, our pain, our guilt, Lord, you came down to rescue us, not a better version of us, but right, the person who we are right here today. And so I just say that to you. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, he doesn't want to better you. He wants you right now where you are. And he will transform your life. And he will change your mindset. And he will change how you love. And he'll change how you serve how you serve your wife, your husband, how you love your kids. 
He'll change how you talk, how you think. He'll change your whole perspective. And I promise you, it'll be the best decision you've ever made in your life. And it's very, very simple. All you have to do right where you are is just profess to him. Say, God, I'm in need of a Savior today. I hear what you're saying. And I ask God that you would forgive me of my sins, that you just audibly, right now, wherever you are, begin to just confess to him, speak to him, say it out loud, talk to him as though you were talking to me and say, God, I I just need you. Come and rescue me. And if you mean that, if you prayed that, Lord, we would love to talk with you after service. We will come down here and pray for you. We'll have people at the back, in the back corner that will give you some resources. But don't leave here today wrestling with that. Settle that today in your spirit. Father, we thank you for the word that's going forth. We pray that you keep it at the forefront of our mind this week and for the rest of our lives as we continue to grow. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and everyone said together. Amen. 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 Thank you guys so much for being here. First time guests, please stop by on your way out and pick up your gift as you're leaving. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday.